0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of NFL Friday. We'll be previewing the conference title games for you, recapping the divisional round and everything in between with the NFL head coaching hires and everything else going on in the league as well. Alongside my partner, Nick DeLuca, I'm Jimmy Sullivan. Happy you could be along with us this week. We are recording this podcast a little after 4 o'clock on Thursday afternoon, the 21st of January. Part of the reason why I bring that up is that last week's show uh, happened mere hours before Robert Sala was hired as the head coach of the New York Jets. Jets get him from the 49ers on a five-year deal. It is his first NFL head coaching gig, and a lot of people have praised this hire. He also brings Mike LaFleur uh, along with him from the 49ers as the Jets' new offensive coordinator. Uh, Nick, I will turn this over to you. What was your initial reaction when you saw that the Jets, after moving on from Adam Gase, had hired Robert Sala, a highly sought-after candidate, as their new head coach?
1: I think my initial reaction was surprised because I figured that, and the indications were, that they would be chasing after an offensive-minded head coach with the potential to one-of attempt to fix Sam Darnold or work with a rookie quarterback that they would be taking at second overall. So I was a bit surprised, but then when you dig into it and that sort of rule of thumb where you go to the absolute opposite of the candidate that you just fired and hired the opposite of that guy, that's what Robert Sala is. He is the polar opposite of what Adam Gase was, not only being a defensive guy, but just the focus of the organization and what he's going to bring to the table. I think it's a good hire for them. I think he will be someone who they can rely upon to come in and change the culture and be positive in that locker room and give them some of the thought process that they need to turn this thing around. There's no doubt in my mind about that. The concerning thing for me, is that all of what I just outlined is well and good. But the immediate focus has to turn to finding a quarterback. And ultimately, how successful your head coach is going to be is determined by the wins and the losses. And it will be very difficult for the Jets to find the wins and particularly compete where they want to get to and and be a championship contender without finding that. And there are rumors about Deshaun Watson. I think that would be an outstanding move if they could make it, but Robert Sala, I'm confident is going to do a good job, but the culture only changes if you win and you only buy in if from the player's perspective, if you're able to win games. And I think they'll be able to do that at the same time, they're not going to elevate to that stratosphere of being competitive in the AFC unless they find someone, whether it be turning around Darnold or drafting somebody or signing somebody, whatever the method to compete with Josh Allen in their own division, with Tua and, and the potential that he were to improve with Bill Belichick and what the Patriots are going to do. And then the broader AFC of Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, if he doesn't end up with the Jets or if he stays in Houston, The AFC is just absolutely loaded with quarterback talent. And that's the thing that comes to mind. I think it's a good hire. I think he's going to be successful relatively to what you want your head coach to do. But that won't happen. Bill Belichick proved it this year that without the quarterback, you can be as great a coach as you want. It still is not going to work out. So a step in the right direction, you feel like the Jets are on the right track, but now it's about finding the quarterback, and that's what it's going to determine how good a head coach Robert Sala is. I don't know if you saw the
0: introductory press conference today from Robert Sala. It was mm-hmm. a couple hours before we recorded this. Um, there will be you know, no memes from it, no you know, eyes chasing after tacos type of videos that we saw after Adam Gase's press conference. Right? Everybody at the time when they hired Adam Gase said, I want to say everybody, but I think a lot of people were saying this is not a good hire, and it wound up going up in flames, basically. He wins nine games in two years. Robert Sala, what I think is going to be working for him here, as crazy as this sounds, is that the standard Jets fans have, I, I don't think is terribly high right now. That's going to sound terrible, I know, but you're coming off a 2-14 and 14 season in which it looked like you were going to go 0-16 until the last – two or three weeks of the season. And the year before that, you're seven and nine, but you never had a chance at the playoffs because you started one and seven. So the expectation for Jets fans right now is, is go out play hard and see what this team can do. And, you know, if you win some games that maybe surprise some people, then that would be considered a success. I, I think the other thing that needs to be paired with this, and you were alluding to this, Nick is the complete picture of what the front office does as well, because the Jets have a ton of cap room and they've got all the draft picks in the world, right? If you want to trade for Deshaun Watson, the Jets are probably in the best position to do that right now out of the teams who would theoretically be interested in a move like that. But also how does the rest of the roster look? Because look, I like Joe Douglas. I think he's doing a good job, but in addition to Adam Gase being bad last year, we, we also have to be honest in that the roster was not good. And does part of that fall in the GM? Yes. Now, nobody thought the team was going to be great. But that being said, you want to see from a personnel standpoint, building a 53-man roster, what this team is able to do. And you talked about the AFC East, right? The Bills up and down. We could talk about Josh Allen all we want. They have a great roster. You saw that last weekend when they were able to win a playoff game 17 to three the miami dolphins have a great roster they have kind of the inverse problem where they've got a really solid roster and they're trying to figure out if tua is the guy going forward for them with the quarterback position but you know it, it a lot of it also comes down to that and whether they get to sean watson who knows um would i like to see that yes but depending on what happens there i do think that they have the right guy you know, Robert Sala is, forgive me for saying this, a football guy. And we saw that in the press conference today. And I think he's going to lend himself really well to this job. And and I'm really excited for it. And the dangerous feeling of hope for me as a Jets fan, unfortunately, has returned.
1: I think it was one of the best hires they could have made, Jimmy. I'm not disagreeing with you. I just think that it's at some point incumbent upon how the whole hire is going to work out it's it's really going to come down to them identifying what that looks like and you mentioned something a little bit earlier on which i found interesting and and i agree with you in that it's probably a success if they are competitive in year one and if they win a few games that they weren't really supposed to win in year one and that shakes out the way it shakes out and if they go six and ten that's a great season if they're competitive in some of the other games that they lose, but that'll only take you so far. And you're not going into hiring Robert Salas saying, I hope we get Marvin Lewis here. You're not going in there saying, okay, well, I hope we could be competitive, keep games close. And then eventually we'll be one and done in the playoffs as a team that wins the wild card and won't win playoff games. I don't know that that's the diagram that Jets fans are looking for. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's not. So when you go up and down and look at the landscape, it's just it's amazing how quickly this stuff has shifted and the number of just really good quarterbacks that are young in the AFC right now across the board. And what does even, as you look at some of the openings or places that don't have great quarterbacks, I don't think it takes a ton for someone to walk into Indianapolis and make them a legitimate Super Bowl contender either with how good that their roster is. And I don't know that Tennessee is going away as a team that we didn't even mention in that same category of Tannehill not being a Lamar Jackson, a Patrick Mahomes, a Josh Allen. But that's that's the thing for me. I I agree with you that he's a football guy. He is going to do a good job. He's going to be detail-oriented, and you think that he's going to come in and run a good defense. I'm I'm with you on all those points. It's just based upon what I sort of read into based on that press conference, I'm sort of thinking they're leaning towards keeping Sam Darnold right now, and I don't know if that's the right decision. Now, of course, that can always be a one-year, two-year proposition – but if he's the guy that they think they're taking into the long-term, I, I just don't know how successful this can be.
0: Yeah, and in total fairness, I think I should also say, too, for full disclosure, I've kind of been on the keep Sam Darnold train, but in, in the final month of the season when everybody's saying, wow, this guy's playing great, he he wasn't throwing for 200 yards a game. So yeah. I think that needs to be brought out there, too. That And as you said – you've got so many other great young quarterbacks in the league right now. Um, is that going to get it done? Probably not. So I like him though. I think it's going to do well. And now, at least for me, my focus is on whether or not they can get to Sean Watson. Cause if you can get to Sean Watson, I mean, that changes everything, not only in attracting players to New York, possibly an Allen Robinson type of guy, because you know, he's been liking some tweets, but, You can change the entire culture of the franchise if you're able to make that move, lock him up long-term. And it isn't a killer cap hit, and the Texans need some picks. So I'm really hoping that the Jets uh, are are able to pull that off, but I think off to a good start so far this offseason with the head coach hire. Speaking of head coach hires, Nick, we have to get into this Dan Campbell press conference with the Detroit Lions. In case you missed it, the Lions are hiring... As we said, Dan Campbell, tight ends coach with the New Orleans Saints. Uh, He was also, I believe, interim coach for the Miami Dolphins for a time a few years back. He is the new head coach of the Detroit Lions in his uh, introductory press conference today. He talked about uh, biting off kneecaps and something about tying that in with the culture of the city of Detroit. Nick, I, I don't even know where to start on this guy, to be honest, but... I'm really hoping that somehow some way we could get hard knocks into the Lions locker room for this year because that press conference was maybe unlike anything I have ever seen. That was insane.
1: Well, I think there was a biting kneecaps reference. There was a kick you in the teeth one time and then you'll punch us back and then we'll kick you in the teeth again. There were some really interesting statements that were made by Dan Campbell. I don't know that, if I were a Lions fan, of course I'm not, that I'd be thrilled when the new head coach of the organization sets up at his press conference and says, well, I told my agent to say that I was really this hot college coach that people might want, pretend like I'm him, or or make it seem like I'm him, so they won't realize that I'm really the candidate that's here. I mean, I understand that the humor behind it, but at the same time, it's it's like, yeah, well yeah, I think Detroit would have preferred Matt Campbell over you. That's just that's the harsh reality of it. I don't know that I've ever heard a incoming head coach swear at his opening press conference. I don't know that I've ever heard that, but he did. He he did, and and that was he is he is you talk about Robert Sala being a football guy. Dan Campbell is the football guy. He is as football as football gets, of course, a former tight end for the Detroit Lions. It was just such a curious hire for me. I'm fascinated to see how that one goes, just because they're at least, I I will give Detroit this, trying something very new. It It is different from what they have been trying for years upon years to get that franchise turned around. It's just when you look at the scope of that, I don't know how they ever walked away from Jim Caldwell, but they did, and Patricia was a disaster, and now they are hoping that somehow this guy who may or may not be able to get players to run through a brick wall, all the stuff that he says is at his press conference is great until you start losing football games. If he can find a way to win, I'm sure they'll get the player buy-in, but that's going to be, I think an uphill battle for, for Detroit going forward, especially when you've got Aaron Rodgers in your division playing as well as the Packers are right now.
0: Yeah. And it's, funny I saw a tweet now I don't know if this is real or not but that they have the placard outside of his office yeah, and it's it says, real
1: I'm pretty sure yeah
0: oh let's go so it's Dan Campbell head coach slash the dude I mean I, I have a hard time from the outside taking that seriously but imagine being in the building especially if you're a guy like Matt Stafford right Matt Stafford played for Jim Caldwell and first for Jim Schwartz but most of his years, I don't want to say most of his years, but the most of any head coach he's had with Jim Caldwell, right? Serious, respectable guy, you know, kind of quiet, uh, but stern, you know, commanded the respect of the locker room. And then you go to, to Matt Patricia, who was horrible, as you said, and then, and then you go to this. I, I don't even know how you rationalize that as somebody who's been so loyal to that franchise for however many years, I think now this would be year 13 coming up in 21. As somebody who sat there and said, you know what? I've, I've poured my life into the Detroit lions basically. And they're going to turn around and hire a guy who's going to put the dude on the placard outside his office. I just, I just, if I was him, I would be upset right now like as much as we joke about biting off kneecaps and and the things that have come out of Dan Campbell's mouth since he got hired as the coach of this team if, if I'm somebody in that position I would be very mad right now that this is what they wound up hiring and maybe it works out I don't know but my my money right now is on that it will not
1: I don't disagree with you and we talk about Deshaun Watson all the time asking for a trade. I wouldn't be shocked if Matthew Stafford tried to follow that route. There was also some reporting that mentioned that he might want to try, or rather the Lions were going to try and engineer a trade for him regardless. It wasn't going to be a Matt Stafford thing that they may look at starting over. I don't know that I, if I were the Detroit lions would be in the business of trading the best player on my roster right now. I don't know that that's ever a good thing particularly when I don't know that your return for him is going to be outstanding just because of the way things have gone. I don't think you're, you're certainly selling low in that situation with how things ended with Matt Patricia and everything that went on there. So I, I don't know that I'd be in the business of making that move. We'll see if they do, but it's, it's gotta be a tough sell for Matthew Stafford. I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent there because he has been one of the guys who I think is is certainly underrated in how good he's been the last decade in the league. And they have made the playoffs one time just because there has been nothing around him. And this is an organization that has really struggled to get things right at times. And they were on their way with Caldwell. Again, I don't mean to circle back to that, but that's just such a big part of the the Detroit Lions story before they go after Matt Patricia and things had just been so downhill when you had success and he he goes, he makes the playoffs at, I think it was 11 and five and then misses them at nine and seven Would the Lions love to get back to nine and seven right now. They're just, they're in a rough spot. We'll see how Dan Campbell works out.
0: We certainly will. And we can talk about head coach hirings and firings and all that stuff all we want, but We've got two championship games this weekend and let's take a look back first. And Nick, just because you're here, I'm going to start with Ravens bills because I think we have to, it was the most anticipated game of last weekend, at least for last Saturday. Uh, The bills get the victory 17 to three. Lamar Jackson winds up leaving the game early with injury, but he struggled when he was in there, throws the pick six in the end zone to to Taron Johnson who runs it back and that kind of decided the, the course of that game, a uh, 14-point swing, basically. But, Nick, you are a Bills fan, as everybody knows, and your team now one win away from the Super Bowl. And what I was impressed by, most of all, was that everyone looking at the Bills this year has talked about their offense, and it's great. Don't get me wrong. But, yeah, the defense has been, you know, it's it's been a little up and down at times. I think it's fair to say that. And... That defense stepped up, played so well against the Ravens last week, and really got them the win when you look at that game because you know their offense didn't do a ton. Part of that was probably the weather. But nonetheless, Nick, Bill's defense stepping up here in the divisional round. They beat the Ravens, and now a date with the Chiefs and a,
1: a chance to go to the Super Bowl. Best defensive performance of the year for the Bills, and it really wasn't close. And I think what the Bills and Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier have shown is that when you are not multidimensional on offense, the Bills can have a lot of success. I think early on they were struggling with just the rotating and revolving door of players because of injuries and COVID. And they weren't going after schematically teams the way that we're accustomed to seeing them in past years. And certainly as they have done as things have progressed in in this year and early on, Matt Milano, who is an essential player to them, he is, he to me is their best linebacker. There's a lot of talk about Tremaine Edmonds there. Matt Milano is, is the glue to their defense and he missed some significant time with a shoulder injury and they had gotten him back, and he has really changed the scope of that defense. But when the Ravens, in part because of Lamar Jackson, and in part because of the lack of weapons around him on the perimeter and throwing the football, do not really threaten you, the the Bills can take something away. When it's, oh, we only run the ball, the Bills will get creative and take that away. If it's we only throw the ball, like Pittsburgh did earlier this season, you can take that away. It's the teams like Indianapolis that had given them a little bit more trouble because they are so two-dimensional and so well-balanced. You can't commit eight guys to the box because Phillip Rivers in both the diagnosis and getting the football there is going to hurt you. And of course you can't load up on the pass because Jonathan Taylor and their offensive line was so good. And I think that was a performance that sort of scared a lot of people off, but this is a team that leads the NFL in the playoffs and scoring defense right now. And I don't know that people have given it enough credit as a unit that has progressed. It is a night and day difference from the way that they started the season. And the way that I look at the final four, and and I think this is the bills defense that you're going to get going forward. Now they're not going to shut down Patrick Mahomes the way they did Lamar Jackson. The chiefs are going to score more than three points. But when I look at the final four, the Bills, to me, are the only team that can win a game both 45-42 and 10-7. They are that good and have that potential on both sides of the football that I think they can win football games that way. The closest to me on the second is Tampa Bay, but I, I think the Bills are in the best position to do that. That's just my opinion, but it was a really impressive performance. They get a huge turnover from Taryn Johnson to pick off Lamar Jackson and run it back. The weather, no doubt a factor, but that defense is showing you that no, they're still largely the same unit that they had from last year. There was some turnover and I think those guys are getting more comfortable in also getting healthier. And that was as good of a performance as the Bills' defense put together all season. So the Bills move on to the
0: AFC Championship game with that. Just kind of bouncing around here, some of the headlines. The Packers take down the Rams 32-18. And maybe the bigger story here is the relationship, or depending on the reporting you read, lack thereof, between Sean McVay and Jared Goff. And this was something that was heralded a couple of years ago. Sean McVay came in, and it was night and day. The way Jared Goff looked from his rookie year to his second year. And now that relationship seems to be strained. One report saying that uh, the two need marriage counseling, quote unquote, uh, in order to rescue that relationship, if you will. Uh, The Rams get bounced out of the playoffs. Uh, Goff wound up playing in the uh, wildcard round for John Wolford, who had gotten hurt earlier in the game. Uh, but this is nonetheless, I think, Nick, a relationship that I don't want to say is beyond repair, but certainly deteriorating uh, partially with the performance of Jared Goff, which at least in my view has gone really downhill the last couple of years. And uh, we'll see where things go with the Rams, but they get bounced in the divisional round. And now they have to deal with uh, this issue between their uh, quarterback And their head coach as well.
1: Yeah, and it's such a difficult situation for both parties involved. And I think the frustration for Sean McVay has to stem from we have invested so much on the defensive side of the football. And that was a really good defense. You've got arguably the best defensive lineman in the NFL and the best corner in the NFL. I don't think there's much doubt about Aaron Donald, perhaps Jalen Ramsey is up for debate, but they're not, he's certainly a top five. I mean, you're not going farther than the top five. So when you put those things together on defense and as good as, and and well-positioned as they were, it's like Jared Goff, just move the football a little bit, just give us a pulse offensively and we'll go out there and we'll shut them down and we'll win. Just score us 24 points and we're going to be in good shape. Now, of course, that wasn't the case against Green Bay, but they were just not in a position to ever win a game in that way because Jared Goff, you knew right off the bat, wasn't going to be able to score. And I think that's so frustrating for a guy like Sean McVay. And when you look at the cap hits and look at the numbers, I find it almost impossible that he's not on the roster next year. His cap hit is $32 million and the dead cap would be around $31 million. So they don't save anything. In, in next year's environment, you can't take on $30 million on a cap hit unless you're making a trade that is so good from another team to where you say, okay, we're going to punt on next year because the package we're getting is so good. They, they won't move on from him. He'll be in L.A. next year. The year after that, though, 2023, all bets are off because he's at a $31 million cap hit, And the dead cap's eight and a half million. They can absorb that. So this is going to be a huge year because it's really a one-year prove it for Jared Goff. Because if Sean McVay's done and as good a job as he's done, he's got the longest leash of almost any head coach in the NFL right now. With how well that he he came in and is thought of around the league. If Jared Goff isn't good next year, there is absolutely no guarantee that he would be back in the in the future but I think next year he will be. It's it's such a difficult situation, and it's so weird, where for both of the top two quarterbacks in that draft, both him and Carson Wentz, to see them play so well at times, Carson Wentz, a borderline MVP candidate in 2017, he gets hurt. They win the Super Bowl and has just dropped off the face of the earth this past year, and Jared Goff, who leads the team to the Super Bowl, playing so well in 2018 and now he's dropped off the face of the earth so it's really incredible you know you, you see your bust you see the share of busts all the time and I don't know that there was any there was a ton of confidence and even you go back to the year before with Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota I think that their limitations were always clear and it was like okay this is what they are and that's that's what the situation is it's just so weird to me to see two guys go out play so well and then in in a couple years it's it's like all right what's the cap hit because we got to move on from him it's it's pretty remarkable
0: yeah it is quite strange and I think just staying on this for a minute when you look at Jared Goff I mean I, I think about how the Rams ended their season week 17 they have to win to make the playoffs They put in John Wolford, and they did some good things. Now, I'm not saying John Wolford's going to take Jared Goff's job. That's, I think, fundamentally a crazy take. But what I'm saying is that the Rams, with Sean McVay, with the system he's put in place, I don't really believe are going to go out of their way to accommodate Jared Goff. I mean, they kind of have, just in hiring Sean McVay after the – Jeff Fisher year of 2016, but the system I think we've seen can take a Jared Goff can take whoever's in it and make them halfway decent. And then whatever happens after that is up to the ability of that particular quarterback. But I I don't see a a particular need for the Rams sit there and say, Oh, we have to keep Jared Goff. Like that's no, he's not that good. He's not at that level where you say, that is our franchise quarterback no matter what. I just don't think he is. And I, I think, unfortunately, we, we've seen that this year. I think this year, particularly late in the season, probably a little unfair just because of the, some of the injuries and whatnot. But I do think that this has established that the Rams don't necessarily need uh, Jared Goff here if they want to build a, a winner consistently let's just uh look quickly at the sunday games here we'll start with chiefs browns and this game was something <laughs> i don't yeah. even know where else to start but chad Henney comes in for the injured patrick mahomes the browns almost stage a comeback. they lose 22 17 uh chad Henney, as we all predicted scrambles for 13 yards on third and long and then gets the fourth and short on the third of tyreek hill um nick this was a uh strange game to say the least. Uh for a few minutes there, I, I really actually believe the Browns are going to win. But Chad Henney, the backup quarterback, after playing all of week 17, it should be noted, uh leads the Kansas City Chiefs to within a game of going back to the Super Bowl. And, you know, he does just enough to get the Chiefs there. And now I think the focus is on Patrick Mahomes. Can he play on Sunday? He's practiced the first couple of days of this week, I think he will be in there on Sunday night, but the Chiefs, nonetheless, without him, for the most part, are able to
1: to go out there and still get the win. Yeah, it was close, and the game turned dramatically when Mahomes goes out, and there's a lot of credit that should go to both Chad Henney and Andy Reid for keeping the ship afloat, but Without a doubt, there was really not much that Cleveland was offering in the way of stopping Patrick Mahomes in that offense. And then when he goes out of the game, it becomes a different animal where, all right, Cleveland feels like we can get back in the game. And I still cannot believe that they punted in that situation. I know it was fourth and nine close to midfield, but they didn't get the ball back. And to me, you give yourself two chances, particularly when even if you were to give up a field goal in that situation, okay, you're down eight. It's not the best place to be, but at the same time, you are still within one score and not dead. All you have to do is not give up a touchdown as opposed to where they got, it's like, all right, we we have to not give up a first down. So I, I didn't understand that at all. You would have needed a touchdown either way and you give yourself an extra chance to to go for it on fourth and nine with the worst thing that happens being that you have to try for an extra two-point conversion. So I wasn't a huge fan of how Kevin Stefanski decided on that one. But only Andy Reid, as Tony Romo said, gets in shotgun on fourth and an inch and throws it with a backup quarterback. And I thought that was an incredibly gutsy call. And I'm going to say it was fantastic because it worked out, but it's absolutely right. They're playing to their strength. And I think that that's the the biggest thing. And was so impressive. It doesn't matter who's in there. Of course, Patrick Mahomes adds another out of this world dimension to what the Chiefs do, but they still understand who they are. They understand the system that they play. They know what works and they know their football team. And it's why Andy Reed has been such a great coach in this league for such a long time and why the Chiefs, are hosting a third straight AFC championship game because Andy Reed is, is as good as they come in the coaching department and so impressive to see Chad Henney come in and play the way he did. Minus that one really knucklehead interception. Other than that, I thought he was on time on target and a guy who was able to come in and give them a chance to win. And they were able to do it and, and a really impressive performance for them to, be able to tread water without, I think a lot of people who who a lot of people would say is is the best quarterback in the game right now.
0: Yeah, and I think we need to give credit where it's due to the Chiefs. Obviously, Kevin Stefanski had a bad game on yeah. Sunday, and he unnecessarily burned two of his timeouts. Which, which I think
1: too was incredible. Yeah. yeah,
0: and I think that's what exacerbated the decision to go for it because. If you have all three timeouts there, I think you feel a lot better about punting it away, right? Because even if the even Chiefs two. get that fourth down, right, exactly. Yeah. But instead they're down to one with four minutes to go. And it's basically your defense needs to get a three and out. Otherwise you're going to lose the game. So that was a goof on Kevin Stefanski's part. And he deserves a lot of credit for getting the Browns to the playoffs because I admire anybody you know who can do that with the way that franchise has been recently, but Nonetheless, it's it was a poor performance on his part, and it wound up costing his team the game largely. And the final game of the weekend, Bucks Saints last ride for Drew Brees. They lose thirty to twenty. The Bucks move on to the NFC title game. Um, very low key, I think. By the way, that if the Bucks win on Sunday, they are hosting the Super Bowl, um, which I have not heard a lot of people talk about. I, I think partially because there's not going to be a ton of people at the Super Bowl. But nonetheless, uh, the Buccaneers get the victory. Their defense forces three turnovers and two of them interceptions on Drew Brees. They wind up turning those three turnovers into 21 points. So that's uh, the margin right there, even more so. But they wind up winning 30 to 20. And Nick, for all we talked in the regular season about, Tom Brady and the Bucs have to get used to each other. They have to adapt certain things and whatnot. Here they are on the doorstep of the Super Bowl. And I I had said in the regular season that for them to do that, it was going to require two hard-headed individuals and Tom Brady and Bruce Arians to come together. I'm still not sure if they have, but you know what? It's been good enough for them, and they're in to the NFC Championship game.
1: Well, to answer the comment about them hosting the Super Bowl, it would be pretty amazing in two respects. One, of course that it would be the only home playoff game that they would have the entire postseason, But also I don't know that it will produce a home field advantage no matter who they play. Okay. I'll tell you right now, if the bills are in the super bowl, there will not be a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan there. And <laughs> I think that there won't be too many of Kansas City's there as well. And And of course, Green Bay, if they win, Tampa Bay won't be there. So that's that. The the story of the game is the is the turnovers. And that is just for I don't I don't want to take away the credit from Tampa Bay, although we'll get into the picks later and I'll tell you how I feel. You might be able to read into where I'm gonna pick based upon what I'm saying right now. But it it's just Drew Brees did, did not play well at all. And that's not to diminish the career that he's had, likely now over and some of the other injuries that New Orleans had. But when you turn it over the way that they did, you can't win the game. Uh, you know, New Orleans is up by a touchdown and they're driving, having the football to go up two scores and Jared Cook fumbles the football. And then the whole game turns on its ear and Tampa Bay's in a position to win. So a lot of credit goes to that defense enforcing the turnovers. But at the same time, <laughs> it's just, it's mistakes that, that, New Orleans makes and you can't afford to make in a playoff game and and it goes back to who you sort of credit or blame for those occurrences happening but a lot of credit goes to Tampa Bay I'll say that to to see them work out the things that they needed to work out because I agree with you Jimmy it didn't look great there for a while I'm I'm still not sure that they have 100% figured it out it's just at, at some point I, I've heard a ton of praise for Tom Brady. And I'm I'm I get it and I understand it because the run that he has been on in making nine, I believe, conference championship games out of the last fourteen is is remarkable. That's insane. We talk about the Bills being happy to be here and, and it's once in twenty five years for Buffalo. So incredible run that Tom Brady has been on. That said, if you watch the game on Sunday, I don't know that anyone's saying, "Oh, Tom Brady's the reason they won." Now, maybe it's the culture. Maybe it's he, he's doing a great job of inspiring the defense to play well. I don't, I don't know what it is, but that whole thing for me was a little overblown, and more about the mistakes that the Saints made to to make that game play out the way it did, as opposed to Tampa Bay going out and really putting together an impressive win. That's not to say that they can't go out and put together an impressive win against green Bay. But the, the point is that at, at some level, I just feel like new Orleans is sitting here today and, and feels like that's a game that got away from them.
0: Yeah. And, and the Brady point is interesting because I looked at it I mean, I'll take it a step further. Uh, Tom Brady was a game manager on yeah. Sunday and 18 for 33, 199 yards two TDs. He also r- ran the QB sneak in at the end of the game, but, what he did well was, was not turn it over basically. And yeah, their offense I think was decent to good on Sunday. I I think, you know, they, they took advantage of the turnovers, which they deserve a lot of credit for. Um, But yeah, they were given some short fields and and, and they ran the ball. Okay. They gave it to Fournette a bunch, you know, Ronald Jones looked really good, but he's still coming off injury. So he's on a bit of a pitch count. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, the the defense for them is the reason why they won the game. It wasn't because of Tom Brady or anything, really, that anyone offensively did. But nonetheless, Buccaneers in the NFC Championship game, and we have reached that time. Let's make the picks. So 3 o'clock, Sunday afternoon, and the people at Fox have to be loving this matchup. Bucks, Packers, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Lambeau Field. Fun fact, this is Aaron Rodgers' first NFC Championship game at Lambeau. Nick, I think I know which way you're going on this one, but nonetheless, I ask you,
1: who are you taking on Sunday? It's Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, and it's maybe less about what we've seen from Tampa Bay, as skeptical as I am about them at times, and more about just how out of this world well that Aaron Rodgers is playing and the Green Bay Packers are playing right now and there are so many weapons and they ran through what a lot of people would consider one of if not the best defenses in the entire NFL with the Los Angeles Rams and they they had no issue moving the football and it was Devontae Adams whenever they wanted against Jalen Ramsey and putting him in great positions and if not Devontae Adams it was Aaron Jones and Aaron Rodgers is just playing so well right now he is as Sean McVay said when they got together after the game seeing things in slow motion and it's fun to watch and I just don't see a team especially in this round going after Aaron Rodgers and getting a win with him at home they're just playing too well right now they seem to be a cut above everybody else in the NFC right now and it's a credit for Tampa Bay to get to this point and you never count out Tom Brady in a conference championship game and they played so well on the road at the same time I just I don't see it I don't see them walking into Lambeau with a third straight win I I don't know how they score with the Packers and you know that Green Bay is going to put up points I know that they did not play particularly well in week six So long ago, you can throw that game out the window. These are two different teams, and I just, I don't see Tampa Bay being able to score with the way that Green Bay is going to, and I like the Packers in this one.
0: I also think schematically, the Packers have a huge advantage. I, I, I really love what they did last week against the Rams. That motion play with Devontae Adams in the red zone where... Jalen Ramsey couldn't cover him because he was running back and forth basically. He was brilliant. I thought Matt LaFleur and Nathaniel Hackett had a brilliant game plan to counter the Rams. I mean, part of that also we do need to note was Aaron Donald being hurt and kind of not really amounting to anything more than a decoy on the defensive line. But the game plan was excellent and maybe they- have the mvp this year i think that's what it also comes down to as well as you were saying nick it's hard to go into lambo it's really hard to go into lambo and with the way aaron Rodgers is playing go in and beat them the line on this game right now is packers minus four i am not a gambler but man that line makes me want to start and i really like the packers in this matchup uh, yes, the Bucks blew them out in the regular season, but I think that was an entirely different set of circumstances at a very different time in both of these teams' developments. Bruce Arians basically said that the other day as well. I'm going to take the Packers here 31-17. I think they move on to uh, Super Bowl 55 in Tampa, and they represent the NFC. We move over to the other side to close out the show. Buffalo Bills. Kansas City Chiefs, I'm really excited for this game. I think it's a great matchup. Uh, Josh Allen, hopefully Patrick Mahomes at the quarterback position. And this is a game, as I said, I'm really excited for, Nick. And I genuinely believe, I'm not going to give away my pick yet, but I genuinely believe the Bills have a shot in this game. I think it's a solid matchup for them. And I think they could
1: go in and for some people, at least, engineer an upset. I'm I'm with you there, and you knew who I was, was going to pick. I'm going to pick the Bills. Full full disclosure here, as surprise, surprise. But when you when you dive into the matchup, it will be Patrick Mahomes. He's going to play. There's there's no doubt about it. But I do think that he's going to be compromised a little bit. I think that that's that. There's no doubt in that department. And it's not about the head injury. It's about the foot. I mean, he really was in pain towards the the end of his time in the game that third quarter against Cleveland where he was just not moving as well and I'm sure that he will be moving better I'm not thinking it will be to that level and he'll get treatment and a shot I'm sure and and get it taped up and be ready to go but I do think that the reduction in mobility will be a big deal for Kansas City and the way their offense operates Last time around, they were able to really run the football. And I think the conditions will be a lot better. And again, the Bills will be in a much better position in proving and showing that they can stop the run based upon both what happened last week and as I opened up with in talking about the Bills-Ravens matchup. Matt Milano is going to be on the field this week. He was not when the two teams met in Week 6, and I think that's a huge deal both for them in stopping the run but also dealing with Travis Kelsey, who is such a difficult matchup. Matt Milano is as good as it gets in the NFL on tight ends, a former safety in college who is bulked up, and he is your... NFL linebacker in coverage. He's he's as good as it gets in that department. So I think that they can do enough defensively. They're not going to shut down Kansas City, but the, the Bills' offense has been so good this year. And I know it wasn't fantastic against Baltimore again difficult conditions that really saw nobody great on the offensive side of the ball but Kansas City does not have corners the way that Baltimore does and does not have a front seven like Baltimore does this is these two teams are so similar and this is a matchup that I think a lot of people wanted to see because it's it's the best on the best and these two teams are sort of to beat each other that's that's really the way that the bills were built and kansas city of course being engineered before the bills got to where they are right now but josh allen is just playing so well for them i don't think they'll be able to take out stefan diggs from this game i know there's a lot of talk about the bills running game actually not too far off from what kansas city posted this year the Chiefs ran in the regular season for 112 yards a game. The Bills for 107. So they they both were not fantastic running the football teams, and that was something that the Bills were able to force the Chiefs into in the first matchup. I just like the Bills. I like the role that they're on. There has to be some disruption. As good as Patrick Mahomes is with him not practicing in full all week with that foot injury injury, And it's hard when two teams are so close to beat them twice. I like the Bills in this matchup. Send them to the Super Bowl for the first time since 94. I think
0: it also cannot be discounted where the Bills were in week six. They were coming off playing the Titans on a Tuesday night the week before because they had a COVID outbreak. They went and played the Chiefs on a Monday afternoon. It was a weird set of circumstances. I think that needs to be part of it, too. This is much more normal and much more what we're used to seeing. I agree with you. I think it's a very evenly matched game. I really believe that. Patrick Mahomes will probably be a little hampered by the toe, by the, the head injury. Um, it remains to be seen how much, how close he is to his regular self, I, sh- I should say. But only one of these teams has Patrick Mahomes. And I know this is a simplification. And I know that yeah, there's a lot more stuff that you need to break down with the running game and the defenses. And I get that. But there's still, even with a running game that is significantly diminished, there's still so much to stop on the Kansas City side between Hill and Kelsey and Mahomes. So there's a lot to consider. And points will be scored. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a high-scoring game. And I think... Someone's going to have the ball with two minutes to go and a chance to go down the field and win the game. Uh, I think it's going to be that kind of game, but I'm going to take the Chiefs. Uh, I, I again, it's even with the state they're in now. There's still a large element of how do you stop them, and with the Bills as well. I think that's very fair, also. But I'm going to take Kansas City in a close one. Would not be surprised if the Bills win, and at least in my predictions, we get a Rodgers Mahomes. Super Bowl, which I think most people will like. Nick, a pleasure, as always, to be with you. For my partner, Nick DeLuca, our producer, Mike Messina, keeping us on the air. I'm Jimmy Sullivan. Thank you so much for listening to NFL Friday. Enjoy the football this weekend. We'll talk to you again next week.